You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Well, good morning. All right, man, it is so good to see you guys here this morning. Glad that you're with us here on this Thanksgiving edition Covenant Church here at the Bobby Miller Center. Glad you guys are here this morning, genuinely, um, as we worship the Lord together. And so I'm going to begin just as we always do as our, our call to worship. And so if you would, um, you can go ahead and stand. I mean, if, if that makes sense for you, I know there's families in here. Man, if it doesn't make sense, please, I mean, don't be stressed out about that. But just know we're going to worship the Lord together this morning. And in way of that, I'm going to read Psalm 100, and then we'll jump in to worship through song. Listen to this, church. This is God's authoritative word. Let this text just kind of bathe your heart this morning. Let the Holy Spirit work in us. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come in His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship that together this morning, church. Alone in my sorrows and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested, my life began Ash was redeemed Ash was redeemed Only beauty remains My orphan heart My orphan heart Was given a name My morning grew quiet was arrested my life oh your grace oh your grace
Savior display. Our Savior display on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoice. Oh, darkness rejoice. There's no heaven had lost. But then Jesus. To grace, how great a debtor, 
Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've given us another day. Um, Lord, you know my heart better than I do, and so I'm not telling you anything you don't know in this, but as I just confess this to my brothers and sisters that are here and before you, um, I, I'm overjoyed in this moment for the work that you have done among us. To scan this room and just see the faces of families that uh, come from different walks of life, have had different joys and different struggles, and some have been around a while, some are new, but thank you for giving us, through this faith community, a taste of heaven. And so, God, we gather this morning to just express our gratitude to you, and so, Lord, I, I thank you for Covenant Church. Thank you for the blessing that it has been in my life and in the life of my family. Uh, thank you for families and, and, and individuals that we're allowed to have a relationship and be in covenant with all because of you. And so, Lord, in these final few moments of this time of worship, I pray that you would speak to our hearts from your word. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I, I, I do admit, um, I tell you what, before I get going, if you have your device or your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Joshua chapter 9. Don't laugh too loud, but my goal is about 15 to 20 minutes this morning. Um, so I, I understand what's going on with families, but man, listen, at Covenant Church, and, and I want just, to just constantly remind us of this, like our kids are a part of the church. Our kids are not a liability. Like we don't try to just figure out ways just for the not to be kids around at Covenant Church. And so, kids, we're glad that you're here. Now, I know that kids are kids. I have a, a few of them in, in in my house as well, and so so I get that. So don't stress too much about your kids. But I'm going to try to be as quick as possible with this time. But if you would open your Bibles to Joshua chapter nine, I'm going to give sort of a cliff note version of that story, and then just give us a couple of things to take away. From the story, but as you turn there and open your devices and open your Bible, um, there is um, 
a bit of nostalgia in my heart this morning as we are all gathered together in one echoey gym. It's, it, it's been a while, like a, a, lot of, a lot of memories of six years ago starting off in, in Big Sandy Elementary and see how the Lord has grown this body, not only numerically, but grown this body spiritually. Um, it, it really does just bring great joy to my heart. Um, and so I'm thankful for each and every one of you. In Joshua chapter 9, um, the story continues to just be intriguing. I, I, I hope you're reading ahead. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating account. It, it reads better than, than or, or at least as good as, from a narrative standpoint, as the most well-written books that are out there. And Joshua chapter 8 ended, if you remember, as that God gave the people I. They had gone to I in chapter 7, and because of the sin of Achan, they were defeated there where they go back. And we saw last week that God has a deep desire to restore his people back to fellowship, and he has a deep desire to bless his people. Well, at the beginning of chapter 9, as you might uh, have, have figured out by now, look at verses 1 and 2. The news is traveling pretty fast across the promised land. And so in verse 1 it says, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. And what that's saying is they're all hearing of the victory and not just little victories or wimpy victories, but like if there was a 10-run rule in victories... Like that's what the Israelites are doing to these other countries. It's a comprehensive, total defeat. Okay, And so these other inhabitants of the promised land are hearing about this. So verse 2 shouldn't be surprising. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So the rest of the inhabitants of the promised land are going, hey, if we have a chance to defeat the Israelites... It's not going to be as separate entities. We're going to all have to come together and try to sort of team up against them. And so that's what they're plotting and that's what they're planning to do. But, but the narrative takes a little bit of a detour because there's just one group of people called the Gibeonites who have a different plan and a different strategy. And in verses 3 through about 13, what we learn is these Gibeonites, they don't want to team up with everybody else. So they come up with this... Uh, creative but deceptive plan to trick the Israelites. And so even though they live in close proximity as to where the Israelites are and where they've just taken over Jericho, they devise this plan to sort of dress down. And so they get their people together and every, evidently everybody is on board. And, and so they fix their people up as they approach Joshua and the Israelites and they bring old wineskins, they bring old like crusty moldy bread like like my daughters use this phrase glow up any of you teenagers familiar with a glow up well this is a glow down all right so so they are intentionally looking worse than they want to look and the whole reason they want to do this the whole reason they want to do this is because now this is key is because they have heard of the God of Israel now, they're going about it the wrong way. We're going to talk about that. But they've heard testimony of the God of Israel and the desire of their heart, first, let's be honest, is not to be destroyed. Like they don't want to be destroyed. But they also recognize that the God of Israel apparently is, now there's no direct confession that he's the one true God, 
But similar to Rahab, they acknowledge that he is a powerful God and they want, as much as they understand at this point, they want to be on his side. And so they approach Joshua and Joshua and the leaders of the Israelite community and of the Israelite army, probably because they have some of the Mosaic law in mind since they just read it. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 9, they're commanded to be aware and to welcome, listen, the sojourner. Welcome the foreigner. And the, and, and the reasoning for that, and according to Exodus 23 verse 9, is because God says to them, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to be a wanderer and to be a sojourner. And so I, I think that that probably was on the forefront of their minds as these people came to say, hey, we're from a distant place, we're from far off, and we want to be on your side. And so long story short, the Israelites welcome them in. I want to draw your attention to verse 14. Because at this point, you really couldn't blame the Gibeonites, even though they lied. I'm not justifying their lying and their deception. But you can't blame them for not wanting to be destroyed. And you can't blame them for wanting to be on the winning team. Right? And you also can't blame the Israelites for welcoming them in. But look at verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, that's the Israelites, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now, we'll apply this more later, but essentially, they're leaning on their own understanding. It's a situation that seems like it's a no-brainer. It's just common sense. Let's just welcome these people in. Well, verses 15 through 27, the gist of those verses, and I encourage you to go back and read this, but the gist of those verses is this. After three days of the Gibeonites being welcomed into the Israelite camp, they find out that it was all a lie and that it was all a scheme. Well, the Israelites go to Joshua and to the leaders, and they're like, hey, like, they lied. Essentially, I know we're in a covenant with them, but, but they lied. And so in the Israelite mind, it seems that the consensus of the people is, hey, like, no promise stands at this point because they came on a lie to begin with. Well, Joshua and the, and the people and the leaders say, we made a covenant with them. And because they made a covenant with them, we're not going to destroy them. We're going to keep them here. But that the Gibeonites would be cursed, they would be cursed to be woodcutters and water drawers. Now, in, in, in a specific place, look at verse 23, and then we're going to look at verse 27 to see the specific place, because this, this factors into the application in just a second. 23, now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters, of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Now jump to 27. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for their congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So they lied. The lie worked. The deception worked. The Israelites welcomed them in, made a covenant with them, and that's the key. Joshua was not going to break the covenant because he didn't want to heap wrath, the wrath of God on Israel by breaking a covenant. Covenants were a big deal. Joshua was a man of integrity, and so he stuck to the covenant and stuck to the plan. But the Gibeonites are cursed to basically be servants. But they're not mad about it, right? Being a servant in the Israelite army or family, and, and specifically in the house of God, 
is better than being destroyed and wiped off the face of the planet. Because remember, their heart was to be a part of Israel because they had heard of Israel's God. Four, four thoughts. First one is this. I don't blame the Gibeonites and I don't blame the Israelites. And here's what I mean. We don't blame the Gibeonites for wanting to save the lives of their people and to continue on. Even though they went about it the wrong way, you can't fault them for that. I don't fault the Israelites for welcoming the people in because it seemed to be the right thing to do. Now, it has a touch of the Rahab story in it. It's not a one-to-one, if you remember the story of Rahab. But you do have a confession from the Gibeonites of hearing of the Lord, believing in Him, and desiring to be a part of His people, even though it's full of sin. Like it's full of sin. Sin abounds. Not only the, the sin of the Gibeonites lying, but also the sin of the Israelites not seeking counsel from the Lord. So ju- just as a, as a thought, I, I don't blame either group of people here. It's just a messed up situation. Secondly, the Israelites ask the right questions, but they have one massive oversight. Their massive oversight was verse 14, that they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Do you ever come across situations, and maybe you've even said this, and I confess to you that I have said this before. What is there to pray about? It's clear, like, what should happen here. It's just common sense what should be done here. And the principle that we see here, and, and like what they're called out for here, is that they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And, and so the principle and application for us is, in any and every situation, we seek the counsel of the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that necessarily, like, he's going to send a banner, like at the beach, you know, when the banner flies by and tells you what Joe's Crab Shack's going to be serving tonight. Like, God's more than likely not going to send a banner. He's not going to ride it in, in the skies with the clouds. There's not going to be anything like that. But there's a humility and an honesty on our part that we're not sovereign and we don't know everything. And so when we seek God's counsel, even when we think we know any and everything about a situation, it's an expression of humility and an acknowledgement that God alone knows all things. And that's their oversight. In Proverbs chapter 3, familiar passage, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. The key words are lean not on your own understanding. By leaning on their own understanding, they were deceived. Now, I don't know how the thing would have played out had they sought the Lord, what the Lord would have done. I have no idea, but they didn't do that. They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. And so we have to understand that as therefore they were deceived. But I love the fact, I love the fact that Joshua did not back down on the promise and the covenant. Because too many times in my own life, and and maybe you can relate to this, there's a bad situation and I make it worse by making it worse. Right? You just compound it. And so Joshua owned the mistake. We made a mistake. We're sticking to the covenant. Yeah, it... Maybe it stinks. Maybe we were deceived. But we were deceived, and I'm not going to make it worse. We're sticking to the covenant. And so that's exactly what he did. The third thing is this. So we don't blame either party necessarily for how they act and what their desire was. They just went about it the wrong way. Second, 
Israel has a massive oversight. They didn't seek the Lord. Third, I want to just give you quickly a, a history of the Gibeonites. Because they're respected for centuries. Jot down 2 Samuel chapter 21 and read. And what you'll be reading about there are the exact same Gibeonites. But what you'll see is King Saul, who was king of Israel at the time, broke this covenant made in Joshua 9 by killing large numbers of Gibeonites. And God sided with the Gibeonites and sent Israel into a three-year famine. Also, when the land is divided, as we'll see in a couple weeks, Gibeon was one of the cities given to the line of Aaron. It became a special place where God was known. Do you remember where they were specifically called to work? In the house of God and near the altar of God. Approximately 400 years later, David put the tabernacle in Gibeon. This city, I'm sorry, this meant that the altar and the priest were in Gibeon as well. And at least one of David's mighty men, those who were closest to him in battle, was a Gibeonite. Here's why I bring this up. Through deception from the Gibeonites, poor judgment from the Israelites. These these people are still a part, a vital, active part of the people of God. Which leads to the fourth thing. I don't know a better way to express this other than this phrase. The Lord gives more grace. He gives more grace. I mean, doesn't it seem like week after week we just see the Lord giving more grace? And, and you guys know, like, I'm not having to do backflips to try to figure out how to preach grace. I'm just preaching what's here. Through deception and poor judgment, this is, this is a mess of a situation. And God sovereignly works in the mess of this situation... To give more grace. And, and not only does he work for his good in any and all situation. But also for his glory. He positions the Gibeonites to be as close. Listen. Remember where they were to work. In the house of God. In the courts of God. And around the altar. He positions these people who came a part of Israel in a sense. Through deception. He positions them to be. In the most clear place to see God's plan of redemption as they served around the altar. The text seems to imply that God chose to pour His grace out not only on His people, but also these foreigners called the Gibeonites. They had near access to the services in His sanctuary And he puts them in a position that would be a huge benefit not only to their physical well-being, but also to their spiritual well-being. They were liars. They were deceivers. They cheated. Right? You see that, right? Like these, these people cheated, yet God used this small, broken beginning... To draw them into the company of his people where they learned more and were eventually fully identified with those who acknowledge God as the one true God. This week I haven't been able to shake this particular thought. 
Because first, like, this is your story. If, if you're a Christian this morning, your story is no different. It's a mess. It, it, it's a broken mess. And even if you might would have the audacity, and hey, I would, I'd love to hear it. If you would say, well, you know what? My life's not actually a broken mess, and I'm not a broken mess. And, and so I, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm walking, and everything's wonderful. Look, by all means, share your testimony, but next week, all right? Because we're, we're, we're hungry. But for, like seriously, like our lives, if you think back, our lives are just broken. And this is the thought that shook me this week. Is how many lies and sins could have and should have derailed my path to salvation. Just, this might seem cheesy, but just close your eyes just for 30 seconds and just think back. Just think back to past choices, past circumstances. Some of it's your sin, some of it's other people's sin, but nonetheless, you're probably looking back like I'm looking back, and it's just, it's, there's brokenness, and you go, man, man, like even yesterday, I should have been derailed by my own sin. This is clearly a tribute. To God's grace. Our story is no different than the Gibbonites. We have no business finding ourselves being counted as a member of the family of God. Our sins and the sins of others, and even in sinful situations, should have derailed our path to salvation. But the Lord gives more Grace. I'm going to wrap up our time by reading to you from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Because I, I essentially believe that this is what Paul was getting at. I, I believe this is essentially what Paul was getting at, I should say. Listen. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. But listen to verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer. Though formerly I was a persecutor. Though formerly I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Can't you almost hear Paul saying, I shouldn't have been saved. There was plenty of other good choices out there. Actually, there wasn't. Essentially, there wasn't. But, but, but you can hear it in Paul's voice. Like, like I, I shouldn't be appointed to the service. I shouldn't have been judged by Christ in the way that I was judged by Christ. But the Lord saw fit to give me mercy and saw fit to give me grace when I did not deserve the mercy and the grace that he freely gave me. And brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian this morning, the exact same thing is true for you. And so in these final moments before we eat, I pray that we take some time as we sing songs and, and just reflect on the goodness and the mercy of God. And, and if you want, if, if you're looking, searching for something to be thankful for, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, this morning and every morning, 
We have plenty to be thankful for because God saw fit to show us mercy and to show us grace when we didn't deserve it. But friend, if you haven't trusted Christ this morning, and somehow you have believed the lie that your, your life is too broken, it's too gone, it's too big of a mess, there's no way that you would find your way into the family of God. I hope and pray that you've heard otherwise from God's word this morning. And I can't think of a better time and a better place than right here in this echoey activity center gym. Than for you to surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ and have the same testimony that we all have. I shouldn't be saved. But because of God's grace and mercy, I am. So if you would bow your heads, Joseph, Denise, you guys can come back. We just take just a moment, just in your own words, to tell God thank you. Thank Him specifically. You might have specific circumstances or situations in your mind. Say, Lord, thank you that this didn't stop you. Thank you that you didn't give up on me. Thank you, Lord, that your love and your pursuit is relentless. And look, it's okay to go ahead and thank him that he's not going to leave you in the future either. come to the Father through the Son, you're His. You always have been, and you always will be. So Father, we praise You. We thank You for Your grace, and we thank You for Your mercy. Thank You that in a a wacko story of Joshua 9, we can see, we can see Your grace. We can understand more of how You work in this broken world through sinful people. And we understand more of, of why it's required. Like you, It's required that you give more grace and you've seen fit to display your power in one way that's primary and that is through mercy. And so we thank you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.